This week on Bobby and Jens, we're joined by a time trial specialist who's worn the rainbow bands, held seven world titles on the track, and picked up two Olympic medals. And oh yeah, she's only 26 years old. Sit back and listen to our chat today with Chloe Digart. Okay, everyone. Very proud to have Miss Chloe Digart on Bobby and Jens. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. I mean, since we were trying to get this podcast uh, recording kind of organized, you told me where you were and what you were doing. So I'm going to leave that up to you. Where are you and what cool stuff are you up to right now? Yeah. So <laughs> currently um, I am in, well, Silverstone. I am doing some skin suit scanning and some wind tunnel, or yeah, wind tunnel testing um, with our new Canyon bikes and some skin suit stuff. Um, and I'm only here for like 48 hours and then I go back to Belgium. So Belgium is home base for me. Um, and then I'll be there until the weekend and then I head to Mallorca for team camp and then I go to Italy for another camp and just hopefully start the season after that. But I've had a little bit of a cold for like three weeks. So still trying to get healthy and take it as I can go and, um, hopefully we'll be ready to go by, uh, our first nation's cup in the middle of March or yeah, March. Tell me more about this skin suit scanning, though, because that sounds so like right up my alley because the skin suits that we used to have barely fit. They were like flags. And now you're getting scanned like so that what? It's like the perfect size for you. Yeah, which is like super great because I am not a fan of wind tunnel testing and all this stuff. So like they're going to do a one time like body scan. I'm going to go in this like machine. I'll be in like undergarments only and they'll like do this full body scan and then um it's like getting all my body measurements and then I'll get on the bike in the wind tunnel and they'll do the scan again like in my undergarments so it's like they're getting every exact detail of my body so I don't have to try on skin suits anymore hopefully like the scan will just be perfect and it'll be fitted to my body exactly the way I need it you know and with my legs too like my left leg is still smaller than my right leg so being able to have a skin suit that fits perfectly for my left leg compared to my right leg. And, you know, say with, if um, my arms, one lo- arm is longer than the other, they're going to be able to make it just perfect. So really exciting. So jealous. So jealous. That sounds awesome. So before we go further into what are you going to be racing about Olympics, plans for the future and whatnot, let's start at the beginning. What actually or how actually did you get started on the bike? Did your parents buy you a bike? Your friend had a bike or you saw the Tour de France on TV? What was it that got you on the bike? You know, I always I always knew of cycling. It was like in the family. We knew of the Tour de France, like knew Lance Armstrong, of course. Um, and, you know, everybody wore the Live Strong bracelets around school. Like everybody knew what it was. Um, my uncle and my dad did it. You know, I just I never had any interest in it. I was a runner and then I played basketball and I just I didn't care. I didn't I did it for fun. Sure. You know, I couldn't even tell you the first time I rode without training wheels. It was just like a way of life in our family. It was just normal. But it just it was never something I thought I would do as a profession. And let's see. I um, I'm always injured, as you can see in my cycling career. I'm injured or I'm sick or there's something always going wrong. And so when I was running, 
I started out as a distance runner and then I turned into a sprinter or a middle distance runner, but I just, I kept getting hurt. So then I started playing basketball and I had like two surgeries in basketball. I broke my nose. I had stitches and all that. So my dad's like, nope, no more. I'm not paying for any more surgeries. So get on a bike. I was bribed actually. Um, my uncle works at Zip and SRAM for Zip Wheels. And so we would get Blim Wheels and luckily they gave some juniors some like components and things. So I got a bike that was really set up um SRAM components zip wheels which is perfect I've been on them my entire career and um so I went to junior nationals in Madison Wisconsin that was in 2014 I believe and I was a 15 16 year old junior and my dad bribed me he said if you go I'll let you use your brother's zip wheels and if you win you get a pair of Oakley's so of course I used my brother's zip wheels and of course I had to win so I could get the Oakley's so I knew I was decent then because um, I had won the criterium and I was third in the road race and time trial to Emma White. And um, the next year I tore my ACL. So I was like basically done with sports. I just didn't think I cared anymore at all about anything. Um, was planning on just going to college and whatever. Um, but I was on 2016 at the time, Nicola Kramer, her team, and she was super supportive of me. And I think she saw that I had potential as well. And so she kept nagging me. My dad kept nagging me and got on the bike one last time for my 18 year old season. My last year as a junior and, um, went to nationals again. I won two out of the three events there. I qualified for junior worlds and went to worlds and won both of those events. And since then it's just been full gas. So it's been a whirlwind, but it's been fun. Yeah, I remember watching the uh, the world championships there in Richmond. You know, to win one is one thing, but to back it up and win the second one, what are your memories of racing in front of your home fans and pulling the the double dub uh, there at the Junior Women's World Championships? You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't. I don't really think I quite understood, or still don't understand the you know, how truly, you know, amazing that was. That was my first year racing and it it was in America and my family was able to be there, you know, and, and I just, I don't think I actually appreciated it as much as I probably should have. Um, because now, you know, being in Europe, being away from home, being away from my family and everything, it, it, it's hard, you know, it's, it's not fun. Um, but I mean, it really, it really was amazing. And like the, the memories that I do have, it, it was it was such a good time because we were juniors, so it was you know like things were a little bit more lenient and and you know my family was there and it was in America and everybody spoke English and we could go to McDonald's and have cake pops and eat shit for breakfast you know it was it was fun and you know I remember the time trial was the event that I actually cared about like the time trial was you know the one that I wanted to win excuse me and um, yeah I remember I remember doing the time trial. And we had junior gears at the time. And I, every time trial that I've done, like I can remember it like the back of my hand. I, I remember all the moments that I could have done better on. Like even in Yorkshire, for example, like I could tell you right now the three spots that I messed up in. And like, I think about them constantly. Like I could have made up time here. I lost time here because of that. And, you know, and the same thing in that time trial. I remember on the way back, I zoned out. I don't know how long I zoned out but I zoned out when I was catching my uh, two minute man. 
And I remember being so irritated when I came back to whatever. And I just remember thinking like, what, what were you doing? Like, why would you zone out? So I don't know how much time I lost there, you know, and there was a turn that I took too slow. And like, I just remember it so vividly and it's just so frustrating, but, um, you know, I can't complain about a win. So happy about that. And then in the road race, uh, honestly, you know, my dad told me after the race, um, after the whole week was done, he told me, he said, after you won the time trial, I just assumed that you didn't care about the road race. And I wanted to tell you that it's still a race. It still matters. You still have to try and go for the win. And, you know, I think the time trial was such a big goal for me that I think everybody just assumed that the road race was just extra. The road race was just going to be for fun, but you know, I don't go into anything to lose. You know, that's not my mentality. That's not who I am. And so we went in with a plan, Ina Toynberg, her plan. And I remember it like, of course, being juniors, you don't always think things are going to work out and whatever, but like she literally called the race, call it exactly. Like it happened exactly how she planned it. And it was, I think I was more impressed with that than I was with my performance myself. Um, just because I, I'd never worked with someone like that before. I never, you know, I didn't understand that it was, you know, tactics were involved and everything, but it was, um, it was pretty impressive on her side for sure. And I think I think about that more than the actual win itself, but it was, it was a fun race. It was my course, a hundred percent. Like I, I loved everything about that road race. I loved everything about that time trial, like just perfect. So after winning two out of two possible medals, did you ever feel the pressure of the public sponsor teams or the National Federation or oh, you are the next uh, national hero, superstar, or you were too young and you didn't care about it? Or could you feel, oh, now I'm double world champ at the juniors. Everybody expects I keep going like that. Did you ever had uh, that uh, feeling? You know, I think there's... Um No, I honestly, I never did. And I still don't. I think there's, if there's pressure, it's from me. It's the pressure that I put on myself. I, I honestly, I mean, this might sound super cocky, but like, I expect to win, you know, like the races that I prepare for, of course, I'm realistic. And, you know, if, if there's, you know, I don't expect to win every race, but the races that I prepare for the world championships, the IP, the, the, um, really big, important races. Like I don't show up to lose and nobody shows up to lose. You don't, you don't go to a race to lose. That's not what you do. You know, I, I like, I don't, I get these, these things from USA cycling or from the team. Like, what are your goals for the year? What do you mean? What are my goals? Like, I'm going to do this and I, I want to win it. Like, I'm not going to go to podium. I'm not going to go to get top five. I'm not going to go to get top 10. Like why race? Why, why would you race if you, you know, that mentality is just not, that's not me. And so, I mean, same with running, same with basketball. It's, it's just, I, I mean, I want, I want to be the best. I want to do everything I can to be the best. And, um, you know, I, I want to make sure there's no excuses. There's nothing in my way to, to stop me from, from achieving those goals. And so, yeah, no, the pressure for sure. Like I, if there's pressure, it's, it's from me and, um, but it's not bad pressure because, That's, that's who I am. And that's how I'm able to, you know, adapt and, and overcome all these obstacles and to still, you know, have the mentality that I have to continue. And so I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy and blessed with the mentality that I have. I, I'm, I'm 
blown away because let's face it, injuries and sickness are just part of the sport. But like you've already mentioned, you've seemed to had have had more than your fair share, to put it lightly. And I could give you a list of all my injuries from the beginning of my career to now. <laughs> it, it it's it's mind boggling, but like over time when you have those sort of injuries and you're basically in almost like a permanent rehab, that has to affect your confidence and your focus. But like your last couple sentences was opposite of that. So you're obviously a very strong woman. We get that. How you were able to get through all of this mentally is really where I want to kind of drill down into. Where does this mentality come from? And who is your support team that has been by you through all these issues? I mean, you had Epstein's Bar. We, we know about the crash in 2020. All these similar, you know, I don't want you to name them all because uh, yeah, I think that, that would, would make this podcast a little bit longer than it needs to be. <laughs> but like, who is that that core group of people that have kept you so mentally dialed in? Again, I don't think it's a specific group of people or a specific person. I think there has never been a time, even after my accident, I remember laying there after rolling down the hill, Jim Miller, my coach, or he was my uh, the driver at the time, he was there, he was holding my head down. I didn't know why, I didn't know what happened to my leg at the time. He was holding me down and he was holding me down so I wouldn't look down at my leg. And I remember looking at him and I was like, am I done? And as I, like, of course, I wanted to get back on my bike. Like I wanted to get back on the, on the road and race. Like there was never a time that I ever considered retiring or, or, or being done. Like even through the, the rehab, even through Epstein bar or the second surgery or the third surgery or the mini surgeries in between, or, you know, I had an ablation last, uh, two months ago and I've had two sicknesses and I've had, um, I can't even remember the word of what it's called, but inflammation in my sternum. I've been dealing with that and I'm still dealing with that. And it's like, it's almost never ending. But again, it, it, there's there's not a person or a group of people that get me through it. If anything, they're the ones telling me to like, it's okay, like just chill. If you want to take a break, take a break. And it's like, if anything, that's what drives me. That's what's like, no, I'm not going to take a break. I'm fine. Like I'm going to continue. And it's, I have to say, I'm very blessed to have that for sure mentality. Like I, I. I see it. I, I can see that sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes it, it puts me into a deeper hole, which is probably why I'm sick all the time. But um, I wouldn't want it any other way. Have you um, just uh, listening to you just crossed my mind? Have you ever thought of the idea that your mind is maybe too strong for your body? <sighs> your mind is like you, your mind, your motivation, your mental power drags your body behind you and the body goes, help, help, I cannot do this. I'm just a poor little body. Have you ever, ever, ever thought of that, that you sometimes maybe you expect too much perfection of your own body to just function and um, yeah. just, just make we, miracles happen? 
We kind of joke about it. There's like no scientific evidence to like back this up. But I mean, we do joke about it a lot of like saying that like physically and mentally, it's like I feel like I am just too strong for my body in a way. Like I'm, my body is fragile, so that doesn't help. But I feel like there are times that I don't feel pain when I should, or that I do push through the pain when I should. Um, and I think that's what gets me in trouble for sure. Wow. Um, crazy. I mean, <laughs> impressed, <laughs> crazy all at the same time, but I, I want to take this second here. Um, when we're talking about crashes and recovery is our good friend, Pam Alexander just had a a bad crash over the weekend. So I wanted to give a shout out to Pam. I know you know her, Yenzi, you met her at, at El Tor of Tucson. And Pam, we just wanted to to send out a uh, get well soon sort of uh, message. So uh, we're with you through your recovery and, you know, take a little bit of what Chloe just said uh, into your rehab and it'll probably go much quicker. But you said something and it was also one of my questions. The the, the irregular heartbeat that you had, the SVT. I don't know if you know, but I had two of two different uh, episodes during my career. Um, I, was, I was just curious, when you finally got it ablated and taken care of, was that the first time that you had that irregular heartbeat or had you had that for a while? Because I know I had it for a while and I was always trying to kind of hide it and hoping that it didn't happen during the races and then once it happened during the race, I was forced to take care of it, which turned out to be a, a huge plus for my overall longevity of my career. But tell us a little bit about a little bit more about your SVT episode, how it was diagnosed and treated, and and how you feel now after the ablation. Yeah, um, so mine actually started back in 2015. Um, I remember the first time it happened, it was on it was on my bike. I don't do caffeine. I don't take caffeine at all. So it was definitely not a caffeine related thing. It was just, um, I was riding my bike and I remember I, uh, I was literally one mile from my house and, um, it just happened. And at that time I wore a heart rate monitor and I remember seeing it shoot up to like, uh, 220, 230, I think. And it just sat there. And, you know, so that was the very first time I can tell you every single time that it happened. I, I remember specifically, but it would only happen once or twice a year where this past year, it happened five times in two months and it would happen while I was riding. I actually had a, a teammate, um, Lisa Klein come and visit me in Colorado and she was on the ride with me when it happened once. And, um, I started to ride through it for the first couple minutes just to see if it would go away. No, it did not definitely go away. And so we sat on the side of the road and we probably sat for 30 minutes and it sat above 190 for 30 minutes. It was for 10 minutes, I think 205. Max was like 220, I think. Um, and like, those are the only times that I've actually had it recorded was on the bike because I was, you know, using a heart rate monitor. And like, I had a little cardio unit that they told me to try to use. And every time I would use it, it would say that I had AFib. And so everybody's freaking out. And so I just don't have patience. And um, there was a, the cardiologist um, that I went to go see. I'm like, I don't care. Like go in and give me the adrenaline medicine, just fix it. I don't, I don't care. Like, we're not going to track it on your little machine. Like, you know, I have proof on my Garmin. That's all that matters. Like just go in, trigger it, fix it. That's it. 
Um, but it did happen after the ablation. It did happen two more times, but I haven't had it happen since. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. To to our listeners out there that have any sort of irregular heartbeats there, you mentioned it. It's a little kind of unit that you put your fingers on. The The Apple Watch actually has an electrocardiogram function now as well that you can stop on the side of the road and, and at least record that tape so that you could send it to your cardiologist so that you won't have to do any sort of stress test to prove that you have it. Um, but thanks for sharing that. I mean, when I read about that, um, what was that back in November, you said? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, just want to get that across to our listeners. Don't, don't mess with it. I mean, a lot of these things are non-life threatening, but you know, quality of life, there's, there's, there's people out there that can help us now deal with this and give you back your quality of life because there's no, nothing worse than sitting there wondering if it's going to trigger at the wrong time, you know, like, you know, on the, in the Tour de France or in the world championship time trial in the final mile. And like you said, you cannot perform when your heart rate is basically fluttering over 220 um, that whole time. So now that we talked about crashes and injuries and all sort of misshapes, do you, sometimes you're nervous, you're afraid that you missed like miles and hours on the bike in the last years? How optimistic you are to be in time, ready for this for this season, for the trials, for the Olympics, to qualify and for the Olympics? What's your time time schedule there? You, you know what I mean? After crashing, coming back, having this heart problem, coming back, you missed some proper time to train and to race hard. You feel you're a little bit on a shortage there or are you confident that, nope, my body is good, this season will be just as normal? No, uh, for sure not, actually. Um, I, you know, I, I had the ablation done. A week later, I got sick. A week later, I had the chest sternum problem. And then two weeks later, I got sick again with the new COVID, whatever it is. And it's been three weeks and I still am dealing with the symptoms. And, um, you know, every time I have a break, and this is my fault, you know, this is this is my fault. Every time there is a break from an injury or, or an illness, I am full gas afterwards. I'm like, oh, I'm healthy, full gas. And then I'm like in a hole again because I don't actually give myself the proper return. But, you know, my entire career, I have not had one season normal. Like I've not had a buildup. I've not had, you know, an entire season. 2019, when I won in Yorkshire, was probably the only season that was like somewhat normal. I had a surgery the end of December, beginning of January of 19. And I started training again uh, in February. And so I had February all the way to world championships with no interruptions. That was the only season with no interruptions. And so this year with missing the past two seasons, basically, um, as hard as it is for me to, you know, have to show up to a race knowing that I'm going to lose, that's probably how it's going to be at the beginning of the year. Um, because of all the illnesses and, and injuries that I I have had, it's going to take a while probably for my body to, um, and my, and mentally, you know, for me to start training again and, and realize and understand that it's not going to be full gas. I'm going to have to, you know, chill and, and, and realize, you know, and at the end of the day, like these races don't matter. You know, I have to prepare for nationals. I have to win nationals so I can qualify for world championships because, I need to go to world championships and at least get top three at world championships in order to qualify for the Olympics. You know, 
I'm not going to leave it to coaches selection because that is a mess here in America. Um, and so I don't, you know, that, that to me is what I'm going to have to focus on this year is, is making sure that I am prepared a hundred percent for the races that actually matter for me to get the next two seasons underway. And after that, um, that's when I can, you know, hopefully have the buildup again on my body that I am able to start the season fresh and start the season and actually, you know, win and do the races that I, I want to do on the road. And, um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's basically been my career as well as just focusing on those specific races that matter most in the season. And again, that's probably what we're going to have to do this year. Um, and then, you know, get through this year and hopefully qualify for the Olympics and, you know, do the same thing at the Olympics and uh, just continue to build from there. Well, you know, you, you've had success from a very early age. You've had these obstacles that you needed to overcome. But I remember talking talking to Nicola Cranmer a few years ago when, multi-years ago now, I'm getting old, um, but it was, you, you know, your race program. And it seemed to be primarily focused over here in the U.S. And it kind of goes against the grain of if you want to be a super successful cyclist, you need to go and base yourself in Europe. You got to race mostly in Europe, but you've always done that a little bit differently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your reasoning for taking such a different approach to where you live and, and looking at your race schedule? Yeah, for sure. I think my biggest thing is I have goals. Like I have race specific races that I want to win that I want to do well. in, and it's like, you know, why do I want to be put in all these races? You know, I understand from a team standpoint, being a teammate for sure, a hundred percent doing the races that I need to do for the team. But for me as an individual, you know, I want to win Strata Bianca. I want to win Flanders. I want to win Roubaix. I want to win nationals. I want to win worlds. It's like, for me, I will prepare specifically for that race so I can win that race. You know, I'm not going to just go into a race just to, you know, participate. And I think that was always how I trained was I trained specifically for the event that I wanted to win. And, um, I think that was a huge factor into, you know, what made me a better rider and, and, and what made me able to win the things that I won was because I didn't spread myself too thin. I didn't do everything on the calendar. I didn't do, you know, all the extra stuff. And I had, you know, Kristen Armstrong at the time, my coach, and I had Nicola Kramer who, you know, supported me to make sure that, you know, I won. Cause at the end of the day, we want wins. We, you know, it might not be, you know, through the entire season, but it'll be the ones that matter, you know, nationals, world championships. And, you know, I'm hoping once I'm healthy again, you know, even with my schedule this year, it's, you know, Canyon and, and the directors and the, the coaches and, and Ronnie, it's like all they truly care about is getting me healthy. And, and I have not felt pressure from them once about, you know, of course I feel pressure. Like I'm like, oh shit, I'm sorry guys. Like huh, it's happening again. But they, all they truly care about is, is me and, and getting me healthy again. And that's, that's how we're going to get wins. Cause if it was the other way around and they were pushing me, it would just put me into a hole and I'd never be able to race. And so I'm just, I'm, I am really, truly grateful for, you know, that kind of support to, to let me be the rider that I am because the rider that I am needs those 
specific training, the, the specific goals to be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish to win the races that we need to win. And um, I think that's just how it's worked for me. And that's how I'm able to accomplish those goals. We'll be back after this short break. So um, when we talk about accomplishing uh, these goals, where do you see yourself? Like maybe give me a number, a percentage of how fit you are from the Chloe Dygaard world champion time trial in 2019, right? How much percentage of that, uh, how close or how far away you are from your top you think? And what are you going to focus on? Endurance, strength, max power, or what do you, what do you focus on in the next days and weeks to come in your training? Yeah. Um, so honestly, you know, even in Yorkshire, and I mean, I, I know this might sound cocky, but it's like, I truly don't believe I was 100% in Yorkshire either. Um, so, you know, in Olympics, uh, I've heard from um, my coach at the time, Jim Miller, he, well, he's still my coach. I've heard from him. I was around 60 to 70% um, on race day. And But you won by a minute. No, not in, uh, in, in Tokyo. Sorry. Did I say Yorkshire? I meant Tokyo. Sorry. But in York, in Yorkshire, I was probably 90, 95, I would say. Um, but it, yeah, sorry. In Tokyo, I was about 60 to 60 to 70%, I would say. Um, and that's, you know, just my body just wasn't ready. You know, I had four, four months of training after the accident. My leg just wasn't, it wasn't strong enough. I just, I wasn't there. I wasn't recovered. Um, so right now, honestly, I mean, it's hard to say, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very trusting to, um, the gym and, and the, the team. So what, what they tell me is what I, what I, you know, would believe. So I should have asked Jim before I came in so he could tell me what percentage I'm at. Um, but he, we did talk about it. I said, so if I start training again, um, like, you know, after this week, after I start feeling a little bit better, like how long do you think it's going to take me to like be okay to race? And he says probably about four weeks. So, and that's, that's to be okay to just participate in a race. So, um, you know, hopefully it's faster than that. Hopefully I, you know, once I get on the track, um, a little bit, I'll gain some strength there. And, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, again, we're, we're working towards, nationals and world championships and i have to just be okay with how things play out until then because you know at the end of the day qualifying for the olympics and winning the olympics is the goal uh chloe now i do sound like you i will sound like your own old father but chloe i in your words i can hear again you're already itching to go too fast too quick Yes, They told you it's four weeks and you told <laughs> us you hope it's two weeks. No, Chloe, <laughs> listen to them. It is their life, their job, they study, they know. Listen to them. They want the best for you. Chloe, we want the best for you. <laughs> Promise us, make it four weeks before you race and then you go through it easy peasy. Don't push yourself again. Okay, no, for Bobby, sure. back to you. For sure. You know, very wise words there, Yanzi. You know, um, <laughs> I have an analogy for that. When you want to get on the roof of your house, you go, you get the ladder out of your garage, you put it up in a nice little safe angle, and you go up rung by rung. If you go up rung by rung, you're going to be at the top of that roof before you know it. But if you try to jump two or three rungs at a time, you may make it, but the risk of falling down 
is is greater. So um yeah, take take one rung at a time and and go from there. But I mean, it sounds like not only your enthusiasm, but the complexity of balancing your individual goals when you're racing for USA Cycling and the national team with your team goals on the road with Canyon Shram. I'm interested, how is that balance? How do you find that balance? And like, who are the main people that you kind of have to talk to, to to make sure that the track with the national team and the road with, with Canyon Shram kind of jibe together for the overall benefit of both of those organizations? As yeah, well as yourself. Good, yeah. That is another, you know, huge benefit and why I chose Canyon Sram was how supportive they were of me and my goals. Um, and, you know, so they work so well with Jim Miller, my personal coach, and then Gary Sutton, my track coach. And um, they all work together on trying to find out what's going to be the best for me and the best for the team, both teams, USA and Canyon Sram. Um and it's not always right. It's not always perfect. It's not always what's best for me. It's not always what's best for, you know, Ken Sram or the team at USA. But, you know, nothing is going to always be perfect. Logistics are always going to, something's always going to happen, you know. And so we all do our the best we can. And, uh, you know, they say jump. I say how high. That's just how it is. So talking about jumping high, um, the Olympics, what... Um, Well, first of all, are you going to focus on the track, individual pursuit, or on the road, or both? And for the individual pursuit, for the individual pursuit what time do you think will qualify you for the Olympics? And what time you think will win you the gold medal? Well, so they don't have the IP at the Olympics. They only have it at Worlds. The team pursuit is at the Olympics. Um, but the IP, uh, so I have, what do I have? A three... 16 maybe now 316 I, i think that's the world record so yeah i have a 316 um my original goal was to break 310 um by the end of my career but now that uh the magnus sheffield he did a 306 i think in colorado springs and so then i wanted to beat that and then there was another junior boy who did a 305 so like my all-time goal now is to break a 305 so we'll see but You know, so I want to do that for sure. I want to do the hour record. Those are like big goals of mine that I have still yet to do in my career. Um, but yes, for um, the what was the question about the time trial you said? Um, what time you think you need to qualify, and then on the Olympics you trying to race road and okay. on the track, or you focus on one of it? I'll try to do um, all. So the three events that I would do would be the the team pursuit, the road race, and the time trial. And being in Paris. Um, it's not going to be uh, as hilly as Tokyo or as it probably would in another location. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to qualify for all three and participate. Well, not participate. Hopefully, you know, the team pursuit's a little different. It's, you know, it's obviously with the team. So hopefully by then we'll have recruited a lot more girls and stronger girls so we can try to go for the gold medal. Um, you know, but the road race... And the, the time trial, time trial for sure is something that I will focus on. But the road race obviously is going to be, you know, based off of, you know, what the what the course is. And, um, you know, obviously we have some other great talent on Team USA. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Cool, cool. Well, kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, women's professional cycling has made huge strides in, in recent years, right? 
But your team, Canyon Shram, has a new feeder slash development team called Canyon Shram Generation. I just have to give a shout out to your boss, Ronnie Lauka, for making this happen, because what a cool project. Would you have expected something like this just a few years ago in women's cycling? I mean, you're only, what, 26? But like now, there's not only professional women's teams associated at the highest level, but now those professional women's team are starting to have feeder teams due to the efforts of Ronnie. Yeah. You know, and I, I will just add on to that. You know, I, when, when they first came on with this uh, team, I remember thinking, oh, great. Like, here's another, you know, just another team to, to you know, make us look good just for, for media you know, but I have to say the support, the girls that are on this team, the, I mean, especially after, you know, seeing it this, this time, this past time that I was at camp, like it is so genuine. And the girls that are on this team, like I am just blown away with, you know, like, I am so privileged being an American, living in America. Like everybody in America is so privileged to some of these writers that are on this this generation team. You know, seeing and, and hearing their stories, seeing where they're coming from. I am just it is the most amazing opportunity that Canyon Sram is is doing and giving these girls. Like I mean it's almost I I'm not a very sympathetic person, but I have to say when I was hearing some of these stories and hearing, you know, why we're doing this and what it's all about. Like, if you guys actually took the time to to realize that this is not just a media fluke, this is not just to make us look good. Like, we're giving these girls opportunities that they would not have, you know, anywhere. I, I mean, it is just, it is, it, but it's amazing to see their smiles and, and like, you know, at the beginning of the week, they're kind of shy. And then throughout the week, they get, you know, more and more enthusiastic. And it's just, it really is exciting to see. And, and I mean, not just for our team, everybody, you know, there's other other teams, but it's, it's truly, it's truly amazing when it's when it's done the right way when it's done in support of the writers who truly actually need the development need the support. And I have to say, that's where I would, you know, put my money into. That's where I would support these writers. You know, that's it's just an amazing, truly amazing opportunity. And like I, I'm, I feel honored to be a part of it. I feel honored to watch it and to see it grow. It's just the support too is amazing. Like the, everybody's a part of it, and it's just great to see. So, would you think you would have benefited from a similar? program like let's say 10 years ago eight years ago would that would that have been good for you or you were already strong-minded focused on your career you didn't need that or you think yeah that would have been nice for me to have 10 years back uh, but again like this just goes back to how privileged uh you know i was like i was on uh, 2016 at the time you know uh, and of course being in america being on an american team it wasn't you know we didn't have everything that the world tour teams had, which these girls, I mean, they're, they're getting, you know, everything that they need, which is so great, but I'm not complaining about what I had, because if you think about it, I had a bike, 
I had a kit. I had the best coach in the entire world for what I wanted to do. I had the team behind me that was so supportive to make sure that I was able to do what I wanted. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all, that's all that I needed to be able to win because I was blessed with the ability to have the talent to be able to win those races where, you know, not everybody has the, the, the talent to be able to, you know, do those kind of things. So having the support and having these teams like Nicola's team, it's, it's, it's perfect, you know, having the development, having that support, you know, so I don't think I would have benefited or it would have made a difference. Um, if I wasn't where I was, I don't think I'd be where I am today because, you know, to be honest, I had the best of the best at that time and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And, you know, and I'm just so blessed and honored and privileged to have had what I had where, you know, now these girls are getting, you know, that and better. And so I, I, I think it is just an amazing step for all these girls. And I, I wouldn't say it's just women specific. I think it's just in general. Like I think, you know, the men's teams, like the, the U23 teams for the men, the junior teams for the men, it's like, you know, everybody's just trying to, to make everybody better. And I think that's just, it's just huge. And, um, without that, there wouldn't be, you know, obviously there are some writers like, look at Remco, like he was able to jump, you know, Quinn Simmons is able to jump. Like it's, um, it does happen, but it's, you know, it is nice to be able to have those support teams, those, uh, you know, generate like the generation team that we have the development teams. Like it, it does help for sure to, to get those writers, the understanding and the knowledge to know what they need to do to be able to take that next step. Yeah, it's so important. And then your your team also involved with the Zwift Academy by taking the the winner of the Zwift Academy onto your team for, you know, I think a year or two. Um, it's another way of talent ID and giving giving people that don't have the opportunities that that maybe we all had in that development to to get a foot in the door, right? Because that's what it boils down to is you gotta be at the right place at the right time in front of the right people. And now that those doors or that doorway has gotten so much wider and teams are actually looking out of the, the normal countries and bringing that talent from all over the world. And it's just, it's, it's just fun and exciting to watch. And it's just so cool that, uh, that Ronnie put together this, this, this idea. And I just wanted to give him extra double shout out for, for all the efforts that, that they've made. But this normally comes from Jens. He normally says, okay, I want to give you an easier question. So I'm going to steal a little bit of that from, from uh, Jens's playbook. But okay, we've listened to you now for 35 minutes. We get it. You're strong. But what is your biggest challenging challenge? I mean, you go all over the world and you have to be sometimes a little bit, you know, uncomfortable. So like, what is your biggest challenge when you are away from home going to all these different countries around the world? And what is that one thing that you bring in your suitcase to kind of keep you at home? I think like the biggest joke there is, is like, I am the most American person like ever in this world. So like me being outside of America, like I'm definitely that, oh, she's American. Like, 
full gas. You know, like I, I just, I do not function well in outside of America. Like being in Europe, it's so, it's just, it's so new for me. Like, I mean, I've been here off and on, you know, for years, but I still just, it's not my style. It's not my thing. It's just not. And like being in Belgium, like I have a host family that I'll stay with sometimes. And then I stay, um, you know, closer in town. And so that where I stay closer in town, uh, like everybody speaks French there and like the, the people I stay with speak French. And then, you know, when I go stay with that host family, you know, they're, they're out towards, um, they're in, I can't even say it, Melabuke, Melabuke, whatever it is, but they all speak Dutch out there. So I'm like trying to figure out, should I learn French or should I learn Dutch? And so it's just, you know, like at this point, I'm just kind of giving up and I'm just, you know what, I'll just struggle and speak English and just deal with it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's getting better there. Like I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more, more comfortable for sure, but I, I definitely, I like America hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I, I did work for a French team for six years. And when I lived down there, of course, I had to learn to speak French, which is a challenge. It's, it's a difficult to learn language. And just to make you laugh, a sentence you should know is, I am not stupid. I just don't speak your language because <laughs> very often people assume you're stupid because you don't understand, right? So sometimes I, I learned that sentence. I'm not stupid. I just don't speak your language, my friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, Chloe, um, what, what do you do in your relaxing time? So now you live a lot of time in Belgium with your host family. You read books, you do movies, you play the PlayStation, or you just train three times a day. What do you do? What do you do in your day time off? Uh, watching movies, Netflix, go fishing. What is it that relaxes you? Um, I, if I wasn't riding bikes, I would be a professional organizer. Like the place that I'm staying in Belgium right now, I just like went to Ikea and organized everything in there. Like, I love organizing. I, if like people wanted to hire me to like organize their closets or like their pantries or their drawers or bathrooms or anything, like I love it. Like it is my all time favorite thing to do. So that probably is what I like to do. Jeez, I could use that. My garage is a mess. <sighs> my attic is a mess. Uh, it's out of sight, out of mind, you know, just put it in a cupboard, close the door and then, um, gosh, pay someone like you to come over and put it into little organize it. I love organization, but like when I'm, when I have this mountain, it's kind of hard to chip away at the first block of ice. You know, once you oh, get that sure. first chip done, then it starts to roll, but then it's two weeks later and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't been out of the house. I've just been in my garage or my attic organizing all this stuff. But uh, I would well, totally do it. Let <laughs> me know. I'll come and do it for sure. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, Chloe, listen, we wish you all the best in the 2020 season and beyond. And thank you so much for taking time out of your cool trip up there to do all that technological skin suit fitting and wind tunnel testing to, to sit down with us tonight. We really appreciated you having, on as, having you on as our guest. Yes, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Chloe Deigert for being our guest. Thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and make sure to share us with your friends. 
The show was a value news production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosser. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.